Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. We thank you, God, that you say that where two or more gather in your name, there you are also, Lord. There you are present, Father God. And we are, we are way more than two here tonight, Lord. Um, thank you, Father God, that you show yourself to us, Lord, that you... Um, you manifest yourself to us, Lord, Father God. You are here, Lord. We thank you that you are for us, Father God. We thank you that yeah, we can worship you freely, Father, and we can know you, Father God. We can see your heart, Lord, and be changed by your heart, Lord, and, and be forever changed, Father God. And we just say, Lord, that we are hungry for more of you, Lord. We are here to get to know you better, Father God, and to become more like you, Jesus. And um, we just bless you, Lord, and we consecrate everything that's happening tonight to you, Lord. And we say, may it just be worshipped to you, Father. Um, we give you our hearts, Lord, and we just say we want to be fully and 100% present here tonight, Lord. Um, yeah, because we are hungry to meet with you, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them what is your... Favorite thing about Santon? Yeah, that, that's one of my favorite things about Santon as well. And, and not only South Africa, but even internationally. If you think about the size of the, the Greek and the Jewish and a lot of foreign communities also that's actually formed um, quite a strong community in Santon, apart from, I think, every, every group of people in South Africa also being represented here. Um, I mean, we love Santon. Um, for one of the reasons why I love Santon is I feel like what happens in Santon has has international ripple effects. If you think about the the sizes of the businesses that are here in Santon um, and the footprints they have and the size and the a lot of the innovations that that, that are birthed here, um, the scale of things that happen in Santon, um, a lot of a lot of decisions that are made um, that have an impact on the rest of the country um, and also beyond. Um, is one of, one of my favorite things about Santon. And I think when I got here, I was also so pleasantly surprised by the, the cosmopolitan vibe. There's, everything is represented here. There's no, um, there's no like one mold of one person that looks one way. It's all different kinds of people um, coming to Santon and blending, I think, really well. When I started working at Deloitte, I was um, on, on audit teams with people from different races and different religions and different everything, different backgrounds, different families coming from all over parts of the country of the world, even if they from the same race, just coming from a different part of the country is just different, right? And working together was, was for me such a cool thing. And um, some of you may have been at the at a church this morning where we, um, where we announced that we're going to finally be planting the church here in Santon. Um, yeah. Very exciting. So, beginning of August, we'll be having a full-on congregation here in Santon with weekly services, um, and we'll be a, a Santon community. And I'm really excited because God's God's first plan for for saving the world has always been the church, right? Not only his first plan; I think his only plan. He doesn't really have a plan B or a backup plan. He's his plan to save the world and to reconcile every person on the earth to himself is the church. 
And um, I was thinking, well, why? You know, we've been actually doing okay, having services in Randburg. And um, I'm so excited about the fact that we, we'll have a presence here. Um, our friends that live in the area, we can invite here. You know, and it's not... Um, some people are, are frightened by the half an hour drive to Randburg, you know. Um, it's around the corner, and we're here, and we're visible, and we're here every week, right? And there's a, there's a presence and momentum that's built in that way. So I'm really excited about that. And um, I want you to also just think about, think about the church plant for those of you who are members here, you know, as I share the message tonight, and how that applies to, to the Sandon church plant and, and what that means for you individually. Um, all right. We do that. Um, I wanna, I'm going to predominantly be focusing on a, scripture, on a scripture in Isaiah tonight. Before that, I want to I share a bit of a story. Um, but Lauren and I have been the, the Santon district leaders for a while now. So sort of overseeing the, the, the small groups here in Santon. And um, it was about a month ago that we had a meeting with Henny and, and some of the other church leaders. And they... They asked us to, um, to lead the Santon church plant, right? Um, now, I, I work full-time. I'm not in full-time ministry. Um, I love serving in church. I've always, had, always been excited about and had a passion for serving in the church. I really enjoy it, and um, it's, it's something that I think yeah, that, that God has called many of us to do. And um, they asked us this, and, and I was very honored, very humbled, but, but, but honestly also felt a little bit anxious um, Time-wise and capacity-wise, uh, a lot of work stuff going on. We'll be having our second baby um, at the end of June. Um, we're moving into a new house soon. The third quarter is sort of the, the most hectic quarter for us at work. Um, and now they want to plant the church in August, and, and they want Lauren and I to, to lead the church plant. Um, but I was excited by the idea, and I, I, it sounded good, and it sounded like the logical next step. And then last Monday night, we had a, uh, just a meeting with some of the leaders in Santon where we announced the church plant, and we started talking about you know, what, what might this look like. And we started praying into what, what's the vision for the church in Santon specifically. And um, so that was the purpose of the evening. And earlier that day, we had come back from a long weekend with friends, and I, I, just, I just started um, feeling heavy. You know, At first, I was just feeling heavy, and I was feeling sort of not lacquer, and I wasn't sure what it was, and I was like, did I eat something funny? I don't think so. Um, and then this, this, this feeling of, of heaviness just sort of increased as the day progressed, and I realized I was, feeling, I was feeling inadequate. That was the best way of describing it. I was just feeling not, not good enough, you know. Um, and it, it got quite bad, you know, to the, to the place where I couldn't really think straight, and I physically started to feel not well. I started to feel nauseous. And um, I'm like, what's going on here? I've got no clue what's going on here, you know. And at that point, I was probably feeling, you know, the least spiritual that I felt in a while. <laughs> um, I think we all, we all have those times where um, you, feel, you feel like a bit of a worm sometimes. And I was just feeling like, what the flip is going on? Um, and I asked Lauren, you know, can I, just, can I just get away? I just want to put on some worship music, go to a room and close a door. And just try and connect with God, because this is not working for me. Um, and all I, all I thought of was where, where God says, or Scripture says, 
And David strengthened himself in the Lord. And um, I was like, wow, okay. And I thought of that, there's a song by Hillsong that, that goes, um, you are my strength. Right? And I put on that song and I, I immediately started weeping when I, when I put on that song um, and just, you know, just, just realizing again that, that God is my strength, um, even when I feel entirely inadequate. And, um, but I saw this, this worship leader on the, on the music video, his name's uh, Reuben Morgan. He's one of the founding worship leaders in, in, in Hillsong, and he's just sown his life into establishing a culture of worship on the earth. You know? And I think, I think many of us know the impact that, that Hillsong have had on us um, and, and building a heart of worship. Um, and I felt like God said that he... He, he understands the words that he, are, that he is singing, right? You are my strength. Strength like no other. Um, and I felt like God said when, when God called him, when God asked him if he will go, he said yes. Um, and it came at a cost, you know. Normally, like when God calls us somewhere, and even when we come to salvation, we give our lives to God, there's a, there's a cost involved, right? But I felt like God was saying, even for this guy specifically, there had been a great personal cost. I mean, I don't, I'm not really sure what it is. But um, I was also thinking of the story of, um, some of you might have heard about uh, Reinhard Bonnke, um, the, the famous evangelist. And when he started doing his crusades in Africa, uh, specifically in Nigeria, before that, he, he, he received a calling from the Lord. And um, he said, he, I think he woke up one night and he clearly experienced God calling him and, and asking him to start these crusades in Africa. And he said he sort of, hesitated for a moment, and he was also very aware of, you know, this feels a little big for me, I'm not sure I'm qualified for this. And um, God said to him, um, you're not my first choice. You're actually the fourth person that I'm asking. I've asked three others, and they, they weren't willing. And if you're not willing, I'll find someone who is. And um, he said, yes, Lord, I'll go. <laughs> um, you know, in my mind, he's like the ultimate Right? And he was the fourth guy that God asked. Um, but he's looking for that yes. He's looking for that willingness. And so I've, I experienced God asking me, will, will I go? Specifically related to the Sandton Church plant. And I'm still trying to like analyze and figure out how I'm going like, to plug in all the different components of my life on top of this. And um, God just started speaking to me. And he just started saying, um, you know, if I call you, then I give everything necessary for you to walk in that calling. Um, I will equip you with everything you need. Um, more than the equipping, more than being adequate and having those skills, I back you. Right? I support you. You have my backing in this if you just say yes, if you go. Um, I love that scripture in Ephesians that says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. Um, and I was like, cool, God. Um, I'm, I'll go. Um, so that, when you ask me that question, well, will you go? I thought of a scripture in, in Isaiah 6, and I felt God said I must go back and read that scripture. Um, and I want us to read that scripture together now. Um, it's found in Isaiah 6. Um, it's on the screen. You can follow with me there if you like. Um, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go, and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their eyes heavy, and, they bl- and blind their eyes. Their ears heavy, and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. I'm going to read again through each part of the scripture and just, just pause for a moment as we look at, um, at what is said there. Verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He says he, he saw the Lord. Right? There is a, a revealing of who God is. He has an encounter with who God is. He, he sees Him. Right? I don't know if this was... Um, if this was a dream or if it was an open vision or, or what it was, but there was a clear impression of having a picture of, of who God is. And I think, um, I think it's important to note what he sees when he sees God. Um, I saw the Lord, and he was sitting upon a throne. He was high and lifted up, right? Which speaks about the lordship of God. It speaks about the fact that he is exalted. It speaks about the fact that he reigns. It speaks about the fact that he is greater right, than anybody, anybody else. And the train of his robe filled the temple. When I was small, I thought that train meant a, a choo-choo train. It's quite a funny picture in my mind. The train of his robe filled the temple. Um, but he sees God, right? And he sees him high and lifted up. He sees him enthroned. Um, he sees these seraphim, these angels, right, to fly around. Just, it, it, it's, possible, it's, it's easy to read the scripture and just to read through it quickly, but just imagine these massive angels with six wings, right? They have, they, these are these massive angels flying around. They pale in comparison to the majesty of God. They have six wings. Two of them cover their face, two of them cover their feet, and with two of them they fly, Right? And they call to each other and they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Right? Which is the picture in, in the book of Revelations as well. Um, when Jesus gives John the, the revelation of, of the end times and of the throne room of God, He sees God high and lifted up. And the angels cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds so the physical building, the threshold, is the, the sort of the entry point of the door, uh, where the door frame or the entry into this room is, that the entry point. And the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. 
and the house was filled with smoke. Can you see this picture? Right? It's almost difficult to imagine, but can you see this Isaiah standing there in the throne room of God, and God is sitting on this, this throne. He's high and lifted up, and these angels fly around, and they just declare the glory of God. They just declare the fact that He is um, superior, that He is beautiful, that He is holy, that He is worthy, that He is exalted about everything and everybody else. Right? And I think if we look back at our own stories, um, we'll see how God reveals Himself to us. It's easy to sometimes think that we, we, we initiate relationship with God, that we, we reach out to God first. But God is so committed to, to revealing Himself to us. He has such a desire to show Himself to us. Right? Scripture says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, and He is always wanting to open up the eyes of our heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see You. Right? And he is committed to show himself to the hungry, to those who ask. Um, he desperately wants to show who he is um, to people because he loves us. So that's sort of the first part of the scripture for me. There's a, a seeing, a revelation of who God is. I'm confronted with God's character and his nature and his majesty um, and his grandeur in a sense. The next piece says, And I said, Woe is me! For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Right? So I think often when, when we see God in all His glory, when we get an impression in our hearts of how big He really is, and how perfect and how beautiful He actually is, it's easy to be aware of how we are not that. Right, I guess that's a natural response. He says, woe is me. <laughs> woe is like disaster. Right? I'm, it's like sorrow. Sorrow unto me. Um, I am lost. I've seen who God is and I fall so short. I don't even come close. My lips are unclean. I've been defiled. I'm, I'm dirty. I've been affected by the people and the world around me. And I've indulged and I've said yes to a lot of those things. I'm clearly not on the same page. <laughs> I'm so aware of the contrast between God's holiness and my lack thereof. Right? Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. So there is a, a seeing, there is a revelation of who God is, and then there is an awareness of my sin and my guilt, my inadequacy, right? my shortcomings when I see God. Then the next part says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. I think it's important to note what, what doesn't happen here. He doesn't say, Let's, uh, let's dish out the punishment for these these are sins of yours. Let's, uh, do you want to bend over and, and, uh, right? like we say in Afrikaans, you need a good hiding, right? Or you need to, you need to do seven Hail Marys, you know, you need to, um, you need to somehow earn 
this, you need to work back this time, you need to go wash yourself, or you need to go do something, or you need to go slaughter a cow, or do something, right? Note what, it do what doesn't happen when he's confronted about his, with his guilt and his shame and his shortcomings. In God's mercy, he sends one of these, these seraphim with a burning coal. He touches, the coal touches his mouth, and he says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. No effort, no labor, no earning, no how, focusing on how bad I am, trying to be better. All right? If you think about the coal that comes from the altar, what does the altar represent? Sacrifice, right? The altar was made for sacrifice, to make sacrifices unto God, to wipe clean the sins that we had committed against God so that we could once again be committed to Him. But under the old covenant, that had to be done repeatedly, and even then it didn't work. Right? Even then we could never live up to that standard. Right? I love how it, it touches the mouth. The mouth is, is something intimate, right? It makes you think of the scripture in, um, in Psalms that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It talks of an experience. It's not just of, you can imagine when a cold touches your mouth, <laughs> you're going to feel it, right? It's going to lead to an experience. <laughs> Maybe not a great experience in that moment. But the, that picture is, is of experience. Right? And it's of God's mercy. He takes the coal from the burning cones from the altar, which is made for sacrifice, which, which symbolizes atonement. Right? Sacrifice symbolizing atonement, symbolizes making us right with God. But this is, not, this is not a fallen human sacrifice. This is a sacrifice in the throne room of God. Right? And He is saying, For eternity I am making you whole, and I am washing you clean. Um, and this burning coal from the altar has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. I just want you to hear this for yourself tonight. I just want us to hear this. I, know, I, think, I know we know this as Christians, and we, we often pray the sinner's prayer, but just hear this for yourself tonight. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Notice how it doesn't say, some of your guilt is taken away, or some of your sin has been atoned for. Notice how it doesn't say your guilt has been taken away temporarily or your sin has been atoned for for a while, for the next few days or for the next week. Right? It says your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So the first one is seeing God. The second one is being confronted with our own guilt and, and shame and shortcomings. And the third one is an atonement, right? Salvation. It then goes on to say, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Right? Again, notice how there's not um, ten years of training in between the saving and, and the sending. Notice how there's not um, lots of requirements, lots of Bible school, lots of making mistakes and learning from them. That's happening in the sending. Right? He says... Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? You are now qualified. You are ready. Um, but he doesn't say you will go. He asks. 
Why does he ask? Because he wants a response. Right? So look how he says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then there is a respond. Here I am. Send me. Can you see the contrast between Isaiah from woe is me to send me? In a very short space of time, God takes him from woe is me. I'm so unworthy. I'm so unqualified. I'm so not good enough. I'm so aware of my shortcomings and my sin. Right? To God, here I am. Send me. I'm available. Right? Send me. I want to be part of your plan. I want to go. So God reveals Himself to us. He helps us to see Him. Right? To have a, a vision of Him in our hearts. We often then become aware of our shortcomings. But then there is atonement. There is salvation by His mercy through the sacrifice that has already been made. And then He asks, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then he, he's looking for a response. Why does he ask us to respond? Why does he not tell us, go? I believe it's because he's looking for our faith. He's looking for us to say yes before we see the entire picture, before we know what it all looks like. He wants us to take ownership he wants us to understand that it's a partnership. That although we can't do it without God, He chooses to do it with, with us. Right? I, love, I love what Reinhard Bonker says. He also says, um, um, man, need God's, man needs God's power, and God has decided to use manpower. Right? So we need Him, but He wants to use us. Um, and we are his church, right? And then he goes on and he gives us um, not, not such an exciting prophecy. Um, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and, they, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. All right? And that prophecy is actually quoted in, in John 12. Um, it's, uh, it's quoted in John 12, and it's describing a lot of the people that heard the truth and were exposed to the truth and that had a chance to choose to God, but hardened their hearts. They hardened their hearts and choose not to yield themselves to God's picture of what the Messiah looks like. Um, and in the, same, in the same chapter in John 12, um, there are these scriptures that says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw pe- all people to myself. And this is Jesus talking about his death on the cross, right? Um, I think many of you might, might have seen some of the movies of Jesus' crucifixion um, or be familiar with the Roman practice in those days. But um, the person who was being crucified would be nailed to the cross with a cross laying on its back on the ground. And then the cross would be lifted up like that and slotted into its, its slot. Um, and Jesus is predicting this here and he's saying, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. How radical is that? Right. The picture of someone being crucified on the cross, God is saying, I'm using that to draw all people to myself. Because they will know that I, I would not spare anything. I would not spare myself. 
um, in, in order to reconcile these people to me. I love them so much that I would keep nothing back. I would carry public humiliation. I would carry being separated from the presence of the Father in that moment because I have such a strong desire to draw all people to myself. And that word that's used in the Greek for and I, when I'm lifted up um, is the same word that is used in Isaiah. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. So the Lord sitting on the throne, in the throne room, the vision Isaiah had, might not have known it at the time, but it was actually of, of Jesus. The altar in, in Isaiah 12, the coals from the altar, why do they not mention a specific sacrifice on that altar? Because the sacrifice is sitting enthroned. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He gives himself so that we can know him, so that we can be reconciled. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. Speaking again of, of seeing him, of inviting us to have a revelation of who God is. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you received produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.